0: glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to take a look at two very different um, but very related organizations that are making a real significant difference in the world from a better world's point of view, that's for sure. And as you know, those of you who listen with any regularity, this is something we really like to highlight. People and organizations, institutions, that are on the ground, interacting with people, making the world a better place for any number of different reasons and purposes at hand to increase the quality of life emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, physically for people on the planet. We're so accustomed these days to so much adversity, so much challenge to ordinary living that those groups and those organizations that are really committed to the upgrading, the evolutionary development, if you will, of our people, our planet, of sentient life is something that we at A Better World really love to bring forward to our audiences. So more people can become aware of the good works and in some way participate, become part of the solution, if you will, become part of that exciting activity that contributes to the well-being of others. So in that light, we have invited the executive director of the Tibet House U.S. onto our show for the first half of the Uh, program, Ganden Thurman. And for the second half, we'll be speaking to the former executive director of the Pachamama Alliance, located out in San Francisco, who will be in New York uh, tomorrow for their uh, annual luncheon. So first, to start with, we'll be speaking with Ganden Thurman, who is currently the executive director of the Tibet House U.S., where he has worked full-time for the past 20 years. This organization, the Tibet House, is a cultural and educational nonprofit organization established in 1987 at the request of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Ganden has spent considerable time over the course of his, of his life uh, amongst and around Tibetan exiles in the United States and India and is proud to assist their nonviolent campaign. For basic human rights and the opportunity to contribute to world civilization and the affairs of the Tibetans. As we all know, the Tibetans have been terribly, terribly. Uh, marginalized, exploited in so many ways, and the culture in some ways has been hanging on by its fingertips. And it's been thanks to India, the Indian government, in fact, uh, and of course the work of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, in conjunction with the Tibet House, which is actually a worldwide organization, that Tibetan culture and Tibetan Buddhist thinking has been able to survive and even I could say thrive. we'll, we'll find out in a minute in a minute from Gandan uh, about that, uh, in the rest of the world. So welcome to the show Gandan a pleasure to have you. Uh, thank you, Mitchell. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm honored. Absolutely. I'm so glad. So tell us all a little bit about, if you would, the Tibet House of its of its inception and how what its original vision was and what's been going on since. Absolutely. Well Tibet
1: House this Tibet House here in New York City was considered um it basically came about because a number of people who had interacted with Tibetans and with Tibetan culture um back in the uh eighties, seventies and the eighties and so forth and had um been grateful and inspired and appreciative uh for that contact in various ways. Some were interested in art, some were interested in religion, some were interested in, in um their healing traditions. Some were concerned with the human rights uh, issues and the Tibetans' very highly principled, nonviolent response um, to yeah. the difficulties that they face, um, such that they have those human rights issues. Um, yeah. And these people uh, essentially... Uh, appreciated Tibetan. That you know their encounters with Tibetan with Tibetan culture at that time. Um, you know, of course, in various exile communities around um, you know the Tibetan area, which is essentially the Himalayas. Everywhere it's above thirteen thousand feet. That's where this culture has uh, thrived and exists. Um, yeah. In any case, um, and these people had an occasion to ask the Dalai Lama, um, well, you know what, we've benefited a great deal from a lot of the things that you've uh, you know, brought to our attention and, and shared with us, and we'd just like to ask you, well, is, is there anything we can do for you? Is there anything we can do, you know I mean?
0: How how can we help? Yeah. And right. so he assigned, he assigned the group. How can we the good service?
1: Yeah. Basically, yeah, basically that was the idea, and he suggested that um, the Tibet House here in New York be founded as an institution to help, among many other institutions that do this. Of course, all of their monastic institutions are doing this in India and in, in Nepal. Um, the, the, yeah. the lay people in their communities do it as much as they can, and there are a number, there's many different institutions around the world in, in these days, including art collectors, museums, and others. That have yes. uh, begun to appreciate and champion the value of Tibetan culture. Um, so the Tibet House is meant to be an institution that um, lets people understand who the Tibetans are, what their culture is. You know, it is mainly meant to be as a sort of, uh, say, a cultural um, embassy for the Tibetan culture, mm-hmm. and to share its the salient points of that culture and its and its religious and spiritual traditions, with as well as aesthetic traditions. Um, with uh, with the, a Western audience. And the reason for this, we are not ourselves a political or religious institution in that sense, in the sense of being a church or in the sense of being a lobbying or grassroots activist sort of organization. Our purpose is actually more foundational, which is based on the premise, two premises really, one, that the Tibetans are attempting to um, resist the injustices of their situation whatever the re- end result may be of that effort, um, mm-hmm. nonviolently. And the nonviolence is often misunderstood and conflated with pacifism, which is, uh, is a moral principle, an ethical principle for an individual. Um, and nonviolence, of course, is you know has some elements of pacifism to it. They, they definitely don't recommend violence. But the real purpose yeah. of nonviolence is, it is not according to do nothing. To
0: the is it, is it the Vedic notion of ahimsa that was so advanced by uh, Mahatma Gandhi? Is it, it in the it, it was, and he actually that? took a lot of his inspiration from the Buddha as well,
1: and, and Martin Luther yeah. King from Gandhi and also understanding it to be uh, from the Buddha as well. But, I mean, it also works on a purely rational principle in the sense that nonviolence shouldn't be thought of as some sort of doing nothing, um, some, court, some kind of stubbornness and stillness, nonviolence is the very active search for creative as opposed to destructive solutions to real problems. Mm. And that's yes. its efficacy. You know, pacifism, uh, by contrast, is not often respected because the fact of the matter is that if you are being chewed on by a wolf and I tell you, well, you know, I could kick that wolf off of you, but I don't choose to because my, mor- my moral vanity is more important to me. You know, my principles are more important mm-hmm. to me than your leg. It's generally yeah. not very well regarded as a principle in that respect. You know, oh well, how can you yeah. just stand by and do nothing? How can you not? Um, you know, we respect as heroes many people who, although you know, we have problems with militaries and armies and these things, but we do have to acknowledge that the people who are willing to go and get their hands dirty, um, you know, for the, for the greater good, ideally. Um, yes. that there is a certain kind of heroism in that in overcoming their own um their own vanity and their own fear and their and you know, put their lives on the line as well as, you know, their their well being mentally, spiritually, morally in in various ways. So yes. the point then so so and And I think that's a reasonable thing to do and and uh so you know the nonviolence is not to criticize others that are doing that I'm sure everywhere around the world the best they can to deal with their situations from their own perspectives and their frame of reference. but the Tibetans are fortunate um in so far as they i guess we could call it fortunate insofar as they had a somewhat protected history before the Chinese invasion in nineteen fifty and they had a lot of people who were able to study um, and meditate and practice sort of fairly stringent ethical vows up in their up in their Himalayan fastness. There, um, not mm-hmm. everyone, but about twenty percent of the male population was in monasteries um, mm-hmm. at the sort of height of that system. And because yeah. of this, um, they they have a strong belief that in in tr- in the power of truth and understanding. To um, as a tool to solve problems, um, yes. rather than the use. In of fact, force. they do so have
0: th- a they have a a a, uh, a practice of debate. Do they not? Sort of like the Talmudic scholars and rabbis have one in the West. So the Tibetan Buddhists have one of rhetorical understanding and. Discussion well, as abso- well
1: absolutely I mean we even we have in the West of course, the distinction between heuristic and heuristic debate, and the and the tibetan the Tibetans practice both forms as as do other scholars of debate and rhetoric. How and, do you define each, if you would well heuristic debate is debate with the aim of winning, which is essentially what we have in politics, where truth actually yeah. goes out the window and it's really about who gets the biggest <laughs> laugh line and the biggest applause line and it's really with the aim I think of winning. I've been
0: noticing that. Yes.
1: So it so it's the most frustrating kind of debate because nothing gets done and no and no uh perspectives get shared and you have a situation like the one we have in America and many places in the world where people um get very wrapped up in their ideologies and their points of view and their beliefs and these types of things and yeah. identify essentially with every word that they say and every word that anyone else says. And so you can't ever come to any type of compromise. Words lead to blows more frequently than they lead to mutual understanding, which is the purpose of communication at the end of the day, to have mm-hmm. more, a greater rather than a smaller Um, range of perspectives on issues so that we can come up with better rather than worse solutions to the problems that we all face at the end of the day. And so that, anyway, that's heuristic debate, and it's amusing and it has its moments, and it's, as I said, very popular in politics. And I guess in courtrooms and other places. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, then you have uh, and fraud and con men and advertising as well, I suppose, but then you have heuristic debate and heuristic debate is where both parties to the debate, although they may be taking different positions or maybe starting from different positions, debate um uh respectfully um with the mutually ha- um mutual aim of establishing the truth so that they both uphold their perspectives and their points of view or their position if it 's a formal debate. Mm-hmm. um but they do so in order to be the most honest and the most sincere not merely for the sake of winning or for self-congratulation or vanity but for the sake of
0: providing the go? best
1: materials with which the other party can understand where you know what that position is all about and where they're coming from and really test it's a much braver form of debate to really test your point of view in the ancient yeah. indian tradition i believe that the losers of these serious very formal debates and this is where the Buddhists got it from the losers <laughs> would um would have to adopt the position of. They would have to actually formally and publicly adopt the position of the of the winner of the debate. So these were very serious affairs. These were not yes. matters of just well, you know, we're going to just agree to disagree. They didn't. They didn't allow that as a possibility. The debate wasn't done until reason or truth had been outed, and uh, and one well, party or another actually had to acknowledge. So anyway, that's.
0: So, that's Got that's got another level of sophistication to it because it presupposes the ability to vacate one's ego, and additionally, it is a practice of empathy, because in the literal sense, because you're putting yourself into what appeared to be your opponent's shoes. And oh, of course. Well, looking at the world from that point of view, which to support the idea of nonviolence, by the way, since we began with that, this is a way to accomplish that, where you are seeing the world from others' places, and therefore there wouldn't be a conflict, and cooperation would naturally proceed.
1: Well, I mean, maybe compromise would naturally proceed. You know, the, the Buddhist analysis of violence is that it, you know it begins with frustration, and frustration is a natural phenomenon that happens when we try to. We want to accomplish something, and it's usually something reasonable. Surely. And yeah. we have trouble accomplishing it, and so we become frustrated, and we become frustrated, and we become frustrated. And eventually, a little red guy with horns on our shoulder whispers <laughs> in our ear as we can't bear this frustration any longer, look. It's not that you're misperceiving the situation, it's not that you should ask for help, it's not that you should ask for another perspective on this subject. It's that it's that tire you're trying to change. It's it's a Stephen King tire, it's it's possessed, it's evil, you should blow it up. <laughs> problem solved. The problem is only on the other side. So therefore the only solution and it's an easy one, conveniently, is to blow it up. Boom. And it's a release of well, that frustration.
0: It's a, it's a false...
1: Yeah, that's my, one, it's my, it's one
0: form of release, I'd say. One well, I,
1: I'm not saying yeah. it's a healthy one, but I'm saying it's their analysis. Of and therefore, yes. to undermine the possibility of violence, they start with working on our ability to perceive our circumstances and our capabilities and our realities so that the things we try to achieve are realistic. And the ways yeah. in which we try to achieve them are take into account our interconnectedness with others and the consequences of our actions and so yeah. on and so forth so that so that if we become frustrated it becomes more of it a formal problem and it yeah. doesn't lead to these pro- types of problems when we you know come up with goals like I will conquer the world or
0: you yeah. know, whatever else it might be you know right. I'm going to rule the galaxy like some of our republican some of our republican candidates these days but you know i you know when i had your father robert thurman on some time ago talking about his book gunzen uh oh uh, the about the dalai lama why the dalai lama, dalai matters, lama matters was sure ma- name of the book uh, i'm sure you know it well uh, he made a point i've been referring to tibetan buddhism as tibetan Buddhist psychology for the longest time. And of course, I'm in the field of psychology and my attraction to Tibetan Buddhist thought was really, I could say, largely a psychological worldview and perspective that it had embedded in it that I very much appreciated. But your Mm -hmm. father went another step which is to say it's not just psychology but it's actually a science. And I really appreciated that distinction. And I'm bringing that forward here in light of what you're speaking about, nonviolence as not the same and interchangeable with pacifism. This is what came to mind, and I'd love to hear what you have to say about this, that there's a physics to nonviolence. And I I come out of the Taiji Chuan world also, interestingly, Mm -hmm. ancient Chinese, which shows, you know, when you push against something, you're creating resistance, and where you get resistance, there will be pushback. And of course, mm-hmm. we have Isaac Newton to help uh, elucidate Absolutely. that in Western terms, right? So, and then you have this no, uh, Sanskrit uh, concept of karma, which is best translated, as I here understand. As action, so for every action, there's an equal but opposite reaction. So, if you are nonviolent, uh, one way of under—I understand it—is that you're not pushing, pushing against something. You're well, we being can give an example. Sure, Please. You can yeah. take
1: an example of the efficacy of nonviolence if you look at the civil rights movement, for example. And yes. the p- important thing to remember in the, in in so there's an application of nonviolence. You have essentially the authorities. Who are trying to uphold a blatantly unjust and heinous system that's uh, costly yes. to everyone in the country, both its uh, both the beneficiaries it allegedly entitles and those it puts down to make room for those entitlements. Yes. And you have this unjust system, but the problem is, and so the, what do authorities do when they are trying to uphold uh, an unjust system? Unjust systems are unjust in part because they're morally wrong, but also in part because they just don't work. And so the same yeah. solution is applied to uphold unjust systems, which is the use of force. Force is the band-Aid the crutch that we use to yes. sort of patch up our dysfunctional, unjust systems. And right. like and blowing force up hubs, force, particularly state, you know state tyranny of various sorts, nor social, it could be any kind force loves mm-hmm. to be validated by having some pushback from its victims. So the intimidation, the intimidation in the use of force, is to elicit actually a violent response from the victim, so that yeah. an outside observer looking at the situation will assess both sides as having equal merits. It's a way to stimulate a sort of a moral false equivalency, because both mm-hmm. are fighting, and one could be very much. It's a way in which you know, in, in, you know, in, in some people, you know, have this kind of. It's it, it, there aren't there are actual rights and wrongs. You know, a rapist. And a rape victim, just because they are on two sides of their dispute, are not equal. Their positions equal. are not equal. Actually, there is right it's and It's right. a moral In reductionism,
0: fact. if you but, will.
1: But but what we but when but when the onlooker sees um, just two sides fighting, they could flip a coin to pick one, and yes. it, it, it doesn't matter. Bill, both are equal and opposite, and so people love. People love it when resistance movements and these types of things fight back and these sorts of things. I'm not saying people should not defend themselves. And, you know, I understand, again, as I said before, I think people, however strange it looks to us, are doing the best they can. That is a basic Buddhist point of view. And I I believe that. But horrible Mm -hmm. so that best may be in many, many cases around the world for various reasons. But anyway... The point yeah. is, by not fighting back, you don't legitimize that use of force and that unjust system that is being propped up by that use of force. And so when people saw when people saw black Americans walking down the street, dressed in their Sunday best with their families, um, minding their own business and doing nothing other than simply exercising their right to be who they were
0: and their mm-hmm. rights
1: to walk up and down their streets and their rights to be Americans... In every, in every way that that matters. And, yes. And when they see that, and then they see a bunch of people in blue uniforms, uh, swarming them and with attack dogs and hoses and blasting them, mm-hmm. but there's no fight back. There's no, there was no provocation of these hoses and this, that, and the other. Be, Correct. There, was no, there was no distraction from the moral clarity of the moment. So when these cameras see these, because it doesn't do any good to be nonviolent in some dark corner, by the way, that is just getting beaten up in a dark corner. And that is mm-hmm. why the, you know, tyrants around the world hide their actions, and tyrants and criminals and others who are ashamed of what they do hide their actions from the public because they don't want to engage the the moral conscience of humanity because it does not generally treat them kindly and their behaviors kindly. So by not fighting back... Basically, they were able to illustrate the moral point of their cause, not the point about who has the greater force, you know, not the winning part. They were clearly not winning. They were being beaten. They were being maltreated. They suffered, you know, imprisonment, killings, whatever else they suffered. They suffered a great deal. But anyone who was watching that had to say which of these two parties is civilized, which one is upholding civilization which I think, my, as you know from having read some of my dad's books, he always taught me that the hallmark of civilization, in fact, is not force and not overwhelming force, but the hallmark of civilization is restraint, actually. Mercy, yes. compassion, and yes. judicious use of force. Which, of course, are used very at all.
0: fundamental. These are fundamental <laughs> to the Buddhist principles, naturally.
1: Well, they and... are recommended <laughs> more than your <their> alternative. <laughs> well,
0: that's... They're definitely recommended. Uh, some say that ca- compassion is the very foundation of Buddhist teaching. I, I I think that that is maybe largely the case. Certainly on the heart level, and there's a lot of mind engaged as well. But certainly when it comes to emotional development on the level of heart, compassion is its uh, is its cornerstone. But the relevance of the discussion about social justice. Um, from the point of view of the Tibet House, is that the Tibetans have been so strongly um, unjustifiably in many ways um, exploited and marginalized, as we began saying at the beginning, then by sure. the Chinese. And so would you say that Tibet House is, even though it's not defined as a socially activist organization, it is playing, by dint of its very existence, a role in upholding the stature of the Tibetan people.
1: Well, going way back, you asked me why Tibet House, and I gave you number one we started talking about nonviolence. Number two is that, unfortunately, in this world, and it has to do with, this relates to some of the things that we've just been talking about, um, Mm -hmm. specifically the visibility of people. Number two is that Unfortunately, the burden of proof to be human and thus to be eligible for human rights falls on the victim. And yeah. what I mean by that is, and again, that relates to what I was saying before about how the nonviolence allowed this, the the moral principle to shine through in the actions of one of the parties to this beatings and these fights and these disputes. And, you know, so the, the humanity of the Tibetans, if people are allowed to appreciate it and them is something that will automatically change the way in which people construe the situation um regarding their their dissatisfaction with the very unjust situation that pe- that they live under that, that we have very we have a very hard time understanding it I and mean, we can sort of abstractly understand injustice and mass killings and atrocities and starvation and all these different things and we've seen pictures but it you know, it, it it's it's different for those people who live it, of course. And it's it's a much you know it's uh live, it's much worse than Memorex. I don't know if anyone gets yeah. get that reference, but never mind. Yeah. So the point I is do. what we do what we do is we naturally you know uh, in the fact work that was Elephant
0: Gerald who was in that
1: there, ad. <laughs> okay, there we go. Yeah. Well there so so what we do is to show the humanity of the Tibetan people. And in a sense, that's enough. You know, it doesn't matter whether people agree with them, whether they like them, whether they want to be Buddhist or don't want to be Buddhist. This is not our purpose. Our purpose is that we live in a world where we're aware of the others that are here with us, and that includes the Chinese. We don't hate those Chinese. It's not a problem. We have some issues with bad policies, and that's you know, and some acts and some crimes that are not cool. But the point is the Chinese themselves would be doing better if they weren't beating down the people within their own borders, you know and having to shoot people who are trying to escape their country. I mean, I guess it's gotten better than that period of time when famously Chinese people were sort of essentially selling themselves into indentured servitude to be sealed up in cargo containers to get out of that country and show up on some shores mm-hmm. of here and there and the rest and so I'm good for them. I'm glad they're doing better, but the point yeah, is right. it's just a it's just a shame that uh they don't take advantage of what the Tibetans have to offer their their um you know multicultural. I would agree
0: wholeheartedly. Um,
1: I'd like to and instead they waste sure. their resources, you know, beating down these people.
0: Being on and the And uh, it's a very, very strange so thing. You know? It's a very strange difficulty. thing. In no, our so last minutes, the... however, Gonzan, I wanna I want to yeah. come around uh to okay, sorry, um but... some of the no, it's okay. I want to just, uh, if you would, please just highlight some of the activities that go on, because I've been at the Tibet House many times. In fact, I conducted an interview, as I was telling you the other day, uh, Mm -hmm. in one of the rooms there with uh, some of the uh, monks of Garmong Monastery who were traveling the world. In fact, they had just, oh, it's interesting, you're now helping me remember that they did a sand mandala down at the World Trade Center. So it was before 9-11 that I did this interview. It was probably in the late 90s. Uh, And um, one of the questions I actually asked, Matt, and I want to open this up for this moment because we have so little time, but uh, we were looking at the Chinese-Tibetan question, and I said that in light of the principle of karma, there must have been something in the perhaps way distant past that proceeded between the Chinese and the Tibetans. That this is an outcropping of the oppression since 1950 of the Tibetans by the Chinese, and it was an interesting, you know,
1: well, conversation. The, the Chinese feel cheated out of the, you know, their leadership feels very cheated out of the heyday of imperial colonialism and all the, that mayhem, and so they're trying to re, yeah. you know, to, to re-energize a 21st century 17th century colonial. 16th century imperial yes. empire
0: in the 21st century. Right,
1: and it's a very confused effort on their part. If there's anyone
0: that's had an empire in the world, the Chinese have been masterful at going from one empire, one dynasty, I should say. You know to what? Another. Everybody's had you one. Know.
1: The, the, the Cambodian right. little postage stamp country has had a huge empire. The Tibetans that's had a correct. huge empire. Mongolians. Yeah, every dog has had his day in world history. It's just a fact. The very Greeks, the true. Romans, the it's Italians. True. You know, the empires come and go, and they don't last long, and they certainly don't last long in the modern age, because, as I mentioned before, they're extremely inefficient and unjust. Unjust. Injustice That's is right, not efficient. Exactly. It is extremely piss poor as a, uh, oops, sorry, but it is a very poor um, <laughs> managerial system for, uh, for it is. people's aspirations. Well, when are immoral
0: and corrupt at base, you're going to be inefficient because there's a, a moral turpitude, if you will, that is corrupting of a system in itself. But in it's our just more the moments, if yeah. you would, please, some of the, uh, I mean, you've, do, you have these awesome art exhibits, and uh, we, um, do through, uh, we do our work through different cultural exhibitions. Ideas.
1: We do our work through exhibitions, through publications. Those are translations, academic works, coffee table-type books on art, these sorts of things. Um, We have traveling exhibitions of fine art and contemporary Tibetan art. We don't do as much with performing arts as I'd like. We do interdisciplinary conferences on some of the subject areas where Tibetan traditions have something to offer our contemporary ones. I give as an example the neuroscientific studies that are being done of the of the very distinctively different brain function of meditators and other sorts of adepts. Sure, like Richard Davidson's tradition. work. And we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of their very advanced pharmacopoeia um, of of herbal medicine. You know, one-third of our medicine is herbal, mostly from the rainforest. But um, they have a system that is larger than both the Chinese system or the Ayurvedic system. So it's a very vast uh, and and detailed knowledge of of herbs. I wouldn't recommend their surgery. Ours is much better, but they do have a great uh, pharmacopoeia. And so we work in areas where the Tibetans have something to offer our contemporary traditions. You know, self-improvement, meditation is very popular for people. We have some programs during the week for meditation, some lunchtime opportunities, and then people just come in to do their own quiet meditation um, in the gallery. So we do a range of things, and we are happy to consider suggestions as they, Mm -hmm. (laughs) based on whether or not they arise. Uh-huh. As they may arise, you know we're we're not immune to popular demand, but we tend to work in <laughs> in those areas, you know, providing these sort of well, uh, more great. academic um, and aesthetic types of experiences. And then we have Indeed. school groups that well, come in love and your uh, tour the facility. Okay, you have,
0: and you also have seminars and uh, you know we certainly said, do educational programs pretty much every evening and, and
1: on the weekends. Absolutely, <clears throat> we have a facility for longer, more in-depth programming um, in upstate New York and Phoenicia, entitled the Menla Mountain Retreat, and we have a publishing arm, so we do a number of different things to try and make this exotic, yet interesting, and potentially useful culture that the Tibetans bring to us available to the general public. With their Absolutely.
0: generous assistance, I might add. Well, so I really that, appreciate what you're doing. <laughs> exactly. Thank you very much, Gondan, for your commitment it's my pl- to pleasure. the upholding of their work, the Tibetan culture. Overall, and tomorrow night is the uh, the auction, the annual auction at Sotheby's, which is indeed always it is. Such a get my suit out. delightful event. <laughs> yes, indeed, I'll have to. It f- is find my tie. <laughs> I put it on. We're very the year. <laughs> fortunate. You know, the Tibet
1: issue is tricky for for reasons of religious sensitivity and political sensitivity, given the, the current economic yeah. situations with China. So artists are people who have supported this cultural institution very strongly over the years, and we really thank them, where the corporations and the governments have a much harder time justifying it.
0: Exactly. So
1: anyway, please give us have your a lovely website, evening, please?
0: Well, thank website? you very much. Uh, please give us your website so people can oh, yes. come and the visit. The website is tibethouse.us,
1: so T-I-B-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot U-S.
0: Wonderful. Ganden Thurman, a real pleasure to have you on today, and I look forward to seeing you tomorrow night. The pleasure is mine. See you tomorrow. Good night. Okay. Bye-bye now. Gundan Thurman, who is, as you could have heard, the uh, son of Robert Thurman, who has been largely the U.S. representative of His Holiness the Dalai Lama for decades, and his translator and is a a professor of Indo-European, Indo-Asian studies, Tibetan Buddhist studies at Columbia University for a long, long time. He's a wonderful and brilliant man who I wanted to let his son know. I actually met originally in 1981 or 82 at a Tibetan medicine uh, uh workshop I was taking with Yeshi dudan, who was the dalai lama's uh at that time physician and uh Bob Thurman was the translator of course our Tibetan was not good so uh it was uh we were completely reliant upon him for doing the translation, but it's very interesting work. The Tibetans have a very and long tradition of healing, as Ganden was saying. And it's uh, interestingly very related to the Chinese and the Ayurvedic and China sits in between them, sort of as the country does in between China and Tibet uh, and uh, India. So uh, it's really a pleasure to uh, let you all know about the good work happening at the Tibet House and the very deep issues that are constellated when thinking about the Tibetan people and what is going on with them in today's world. And uh, certainly uh, after the Himalayas, Queens is probably the next greatest outpost of a Tibetan population because we've got a uh, a large Tibetan uh, population here in New York City, which is wonderful. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. I'm so glad you're joining us again this evening. And remember that you can get our free A Better World newsletter at our website, www.abetterworld.tv tv. It's free. It announces our weekly radio show here on Blog Talk Radio, as well as our weekly community television show in the Big Apple in Manhattan which can also outside of Manhattan be uh, be accessed through our website. Uh, just at the top it says click here to watch. In fact this week on Monday evening at 7 p.m. we had Dr. Botman Gelage, a very famous internationally known physician and author of the body's many cries for water. And we were at a water conference in Santa Barbara some years back when I had the great pleasure of interviewing him. He was the keynote speaker there. And this is the kind of thing we have on A Better World. We look a lot at health and wellness and well-being and emotional healing and evolution and consciousness and spirituality and the environment and inner and outer ecology and indigenous wisdom and looking at the holistic nature of living and when we do that we see the most interesting relationships emerge and uh <clears throat> and it's from that kind of fount of knowledge and wisdom that we are guided into our future. And on that note, I want to introduce our next guest for the second half of our show today, David Tucker, the former executive director of the Pachamama Alliance. Those of you who listen with any regularity know that we frequently have uh, the intelligence of the Pachamama group on our airwaves. We've had One of its other co-founders, Lynn Twiston, her husband Bill Twist, just this past uh, winter, and uh, Tracy Apple, another of the co-founders. It's been because I feel so deeply about the good work that the Pachamama Alliance has been doing for some years now in terms of paying close attention to our environment, our world as an ecosystem our world as a holistic model for understanding ourselves internally and ourselves externally. They've also done tremendous work specifically down in Ecuador with the Achuar Indians and the uh, Ecuadorian Amazon protecting the lives and the land as well of course as the customs of the indigenous people there. And today, we'll be speaking now in just moments with David Tucker, who has been deeply involved in this. After having been the Executive Director of the Pachamama Alliance, he then became, and that was for working with them for some 17 years as one of their very first uh, staff members, he has now become the Director of Pachamama Journeys, and uh one of those in one of the classes I teach, A Better World in Heaven on Earth here in New York City, actually joined them just in September to go down on one of these incredibly illuminating trips. So without further ado, David Tucker, I want to welcome you to a better world. It's a pleasure to have you.
2: Thank you so much, Mitchell. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: I'm so glad you've been really uh, in the trenches, if you will, with the uh, Pachamama Alliance. And if you would first outline for us what the mission and purpose of the Pachamama Alliance is, and then let's go into some of the indigenous wisdom that you have called over the years that you've been engaging in the shamanic practices uh, and people of uh, of Ecuador.
2: Thank you, Mitchell. So To tell you about the the mission and the purpose of the Pachamama Alliance is useful to just talk about our founding, because it's it's very, uh, it's unique in terms of uh, not-for-profits or NGOs, uh, because it wasn't someone's good idea, like the co-founders, Lynn and Bill Twist. They weren't looking to do something like this uh, 20 years ago. It was actually a call that came uh, from the indigenous people uh... and i think that's one of the keys to our success over the years is that um, we weren't going down there trying to help people but they actually made the request and what makes it even more powerful is that they they heard this call that came through their dreams and their visions these are intact indigenous cultures who still know that ancient art of listening to the earth And so through their dreams, through their visions, through their medicine people, their elders, they could foresee a threat that was coming to their land and their culture. And uh, consistent with their warrior tradition, these are historically warrior um, people, they confront what they fear the most. And so instead of retracting and retreating further into the forest, they said, we're going to meet this, and we're going to meet it on our own terms rather than getting overtaken by this encroachment from the outside world, which they could see. We're going to get organized, and uh, we're going to form an alliance with people from that very world, people who are conscious, committed, awake, um, who will stand with us to protect the forest because they recognize, they caretake this biological Jewel not only for themselves but for all of life we 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 depend on the uh, the services that the rainforest provides the medicines the you you name it it it's a it's a, just an encyclopedia, a treasure trove of um uh wisdom and 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 possibility for uh for all of life and so that led to our twofold mission and it was first to preserve the rainforest through partnering or empowering the indigenous people with the tools and the technologies and the resources that they don't readily have available. Um, they have the skill, the the, the intellect, the, the wherewithal, but we could partner our world's resources with theirs to make a very effective, uh, you know, partnership. Now, the second mm-hmm. part of our mission is to basically change the dream of the modern world, to bring forth an environmentally sustainable spiritually fulfilling and socially just human presence on this planet and that was also very uh, much sourced by the indigenous people they said we really need your support your partnership to stand with us but if you really want to help us we're not cutting down the forest it's your it's your way of living in the north or in the western industrialized world so if you really want to help us in the long run you'll go back and you'll help to change this dream because they believe the dream is reality and what we dream becomes, you know, manifest. So they said our dream is one of consumption, accumulation, and, um, you know, amassing. Acquisition, right. So that needs to be changed to one that's earth-honoring and sustainable. So that led to a whole series of uh, global transformational educational programs that uh, have made it to so far over 80 countries around the world.
0: It's so beautiful. I, I want to just say for our audience uh, when David says, change the dream of your people, uh, we have to remember that the Achuar Indians and so many of the indigenous peoples across the world are what are called dream cultures. The Australian Aboriginal are among the sort of the best known for this. But the interface between what we call reality and what we all know as a dream reality is a little, let's say, fuzzier. It's not as distinct and sharp as we have it here in the West, in the Western interpretation, if you will, of reality. So when they say change the dream, they're also saying change the, dr- change the vision, change the intent, change the values. Would you say so, David?
2: absolutely yeah that's a that's that's a great translation for them they you know the dream is reality for them the spiritual yeah. world is where reality exists and and everything that manifests in the material plane is sourced from that spiritual reality and and I have to say mm-hmm. having gone down there for so many years i've i've truly really come to believe that myself that's why they deal with healing and um you know um visioning manifestation in a completely different way it's all done at an energetic spiritual level uh, in order to affect the material plane
0: so that is that is uh, beautiful to hear i know you're now in charge of director of pachamama journeys and as i mentioned at the uh, at the beginning and uh you lead people. Tell, tell us a little bit about those journeys that you bring people on, and what you've uh, witnessed happen. Yeah. So the the Pachamama Journeys program is
2: is goes back twenty twenty years. It was um, an outgrowth of the founding. Uh, so the Achuar put out a call. Uh, through their contacts, and also put out a call in kind of the, sp- the spirit world for partnership. And uh, John Perkins, who is uh, one of the co-founders of the Pachamama Alliance, he's an author, and he wrote Confessions of an Eco- Economic Hitman, as well as Indeed, some books on I shamanism. Know. Yeah, you, you yeah. probably have interviewed him, Mitchell. So I he, actually
0: haven't, uh, but uh, I have always <laughs> wanted to. <laughs> yeah, we'll get around so, to it. Yeah.
2: So... so uh, John invited Lynn down, and they put together a small group, um, and that was really the the initial the founding journey, you could say. And one of the strategies was that in
0: 1994 Indi- or so,
2: 95, 20 years ago. 95, yep. okay. Yeah, yeah. So one of their main strategies, the indigenous people, was to um, ha- have create spaces for people from the north to or, or you know the the rest of the world to come down and visit with them um not as tourists but as partners to see how to work together yes. see how to collaborate see what we could sh- teach and share one another and so we've been we've been doing that uh for the last you know 20 years we used to do just a couple journeys a year and now we have maybe 12 to 14 offerings both public and you know we put together custom offerings as well and it's just um you know i'm not saying this from a from a you know promotion point of view but they are life changing and that's one of the reasons why i've i've continued to do this work because you you come into contact with a body of knowledge and wisdom that is really infinite it's like you know the 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 wisdom of nature um is is just expansive it's it, it's extraordinary and the indigenous people are carriers of that, of that knowledge and of that wisdom. And they do it in a way that is so embodied and so humble and so strong mm. and yet so so uh, gentle. It's a, it's, a, it's a truly extraordinary example of, wh- I think, who we're meant to be as human beings. And I don't say that from a romantic or a, an, an idolizing uh, place. Um, because you know they're they 're just like everybody else, but they are brought up yes. with a worldview of interconnectedness of um, of community of observation rather than judgment so they they and these are very practical tools as well um, you know their their ceremonies they 're sharing their their dreams it 's all about how to live in a in a connected way in relationship with self with community and the rest of the their environment um in a harmonious way, and they don't have the dream of accumulation and you know they, they're very smart people they could do that if they wanted to, but they just don't they see simplicity and meeting their needs as the as the the goal and as the value and as we find ourselves in a very big crisis globally as a human species, you know these are the people we we can learn so much from because they're in the... Carry these, you know. You could say original instructions for living that the, uh, they say the creator or, or God or the Great Spirit have g- have given, yes. and these these instructions are encoded in nature. So they're in dialogue with all of uh, you know. Of
0: nature. What's interesting, David, is uh, you're bringing to mind uh, what was actually a medieval and Renaissance notion in Europe of the doctrine of signatures. And are you familiar with that? I've heard of it. You've heard of it. Well, it's interesting because it was the European, you could say, um, expression of that interconnectedness between all things. This is the thing that people don't really seem to digest because uh, what has happened with the formalization of this thing we refer to as religion and of governments, and of nations, and borders, and boundaries, and the uh, upsurge of the left hemisphere of the brain, making distinctions, and a form of logic, you know what I mean, which has given rise to a certain kind of industrialization of our society, if you will. I'm connecting a lot of broad strokes here. (laughs) Please Mm -hmm. indulge me. Um, We lost that germane indigenous nature that we all have, and that's the point I'm driving at. Everyone is indigenous, except that we've lost our relationship to the land, to the earth herself, and therefore we're cut off we're cut off from the wisdom, we're cut off literally from the energy, because our bare feet aren't literally on Mother Earth very often at all in our culture. Whereas in these other cultures, their bare feet are on the ground a lot. So the interconnectedness is literal. It's not just figurative or symbolic. It's literal. It's feet on, hands on and feet on the earth and the connectedness of all of life. You can almost laugh at the way we have boxed religion. And you and I were kind of uh, talking about this a bit yesterday that they don't even understand a notion of religion or spirituality as separate from the very essence of their lives. There's no separate spirituality, if you will, or separate God, if you will. It's all inherent in the living, breathing, inhaling, exhaling of moment-to-moment existence. It's an entirely different, truly holistic way of seeing, thinking, and feeling and uh it's something i wholly agree with what you're saying is a guide for us at this point especially in our trajectory which is so quickly sinking our global ship and hence one of my uh great appreciations of what uh Pachamama Alliance is spearheading in the world in so many ways of bringing forward this education that includes being socially just, that includes being spiritually meaningful and educationally bringing people to a place that we all need to get to, which is what our dream has done or our interpretation of reality has brought us to this point of perhaps species extinction. Could you talk a little bit about the educational aspect of what um, what uh, Pachamama Alliance brings forward? Sure. Yeah,
2: that was very well said, Mitchell. <laughs> in terms of reclaiming our own in, indigenous or indigeneity, yeah. is a common term that's used, and um, you know, yeah. more and more, more and more uh, indigenous people I come into contact with who are really connected to these this worldview in ways they say look there's no more separation between indigenous and non-indigenous it's time for us to really um yeah you know come together as indigenous to they say pachamama you know to the the, the, the great, exactly, the great mother earth
0: the great mother and yeah, the, great mother, the, West, the great mother the great mother our. i'm sorry I, as we say in the West, I often say when people ask me, what does Pachamama mean? I believe it's a Quechua word from the Amazon. But uh, in the West, we actually have a beautiful world word that comes from the ancient Greek, Gaia. Gaia and that right. really Very is strange. that same archetypal quality of the Great Mother. You yes. Yeah, please it's don't. actually, for,
2: it's a it's a quechua, quechua word from the andes um in ecuador yes, they in the andes. say quechua they're yes. they're related uh and yes. it, it, it's actually it's actually even bigger than the the mother of that is our planet it's actually the mother of the universe that um mm, it, so it it it, it includes the earth but also the sky all space and all time past present and future so it's a massive massive concept <laughs> but but mm. the consistency oh, thank is, you the, for is the is the is the
0: mother and um so th- it this is a very would you say very then that exciting... from the chinese point of view would you say then that it's more akin to the idea of yin as in the yin and yang uh as as principles they're essentially masculine and feminine principles i i yeah
2: i think i think that would be a fair uh, assessment mitchell yeah. okay yeah and of course that that masculine and feminine balance is is uh is contained within the you know within within Pachamama with that's that's how birth Definitely. and creation happens through those polarities dan- dancing together and we have very much cut ourselves off from that yin or that feminine principle which exists in all of us regardless of, of gender
0: absolutely and gender, uh, so. you know
2: that 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 has that's the real indicator that the, the uninitiated masculine has kind of gotten out of control. It's it's unbalanced and it's actually um it's become very a um uh, uh you know, a nuisance to 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 all all of life. So there's a deeper That's a power nice way of
0: putting it. That was a very gentle way of putting it. I like it.
2: Yeah, right, yeah, nuisance, right. On. To say the least, yes. right. But uh, there's a you know there's a deeper power which is Pachamama and she's going to um, you know she's being activated out of necessity and you know it relates to our work in in the Amazon that one of the most effective. Y- speakers on behalf of protecting the forest are the women who are coming out of the forest and you, you know barefoot and walking in the city barefoot and they're saying mm. you will not you know men are a little more corruptible <laughs> and that happens you know <laughs> down in Ecuador and they they right. get they get mixed up yeah. but these women come out of the forest and say you will not Contaminate our land. You will not poison our children. We will stand. It's like that 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 mother jaguar that energy. That yeah. power, and it is so so moving. So that's been actually one of our strategies is to empower the women's movement um, in mm-hmm. in Ecuador, which is very very strong. Many of them right now are in Paris. Uh, speaking on the front lines at the COP21, um, at, at the COP21, yeah. and uh, it's so so moving and so inspiring. Um, so you know this this partnership we have Beautiful. together that takes the best of you know the modern world. It's not to make our world wrong. We've made these advances in science and technology oh, yes. that have improved life, but you 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 couple that with the the deep wisdom of the earth. And of the indigenous knowledge, and really, it's a science about living on the planet appropriately, yes, properly, responsibly, being stewards. You know, uh, promoting the continuity of life in a healthy way. You put those together, and you you have a a new world view that is um, is actually emerging on the planet today. So there's there's great cause for fear and alarm, but there's great cause for hope and possibility. And I think we need to feed that story. And and that's really the story that the Pachamama Alliance is all about and is the Key enzyme in our educational programs around the world. You know, we, we started this educational program. It's called the Awakening the Dreamer, Changing the Dream Symposium. Mm-hmm. We we mm-hmm. started that ten years ago, and I know you're familiar with it, Mitchell. I've
0: taken and it, it a couple of times.
2: Yes, yes, and it's it's we updated. It has the most leading edge, well, very well designed, um, high quality True. videos material. It's it's rigorously. It's um, so impressive. It, it it it's really well done and the um you know we didn't have a big promotion or marketing scheme or budget but the it went kind of viral globally by demand people took this and they translated oh, it into boy. russian into spanish into chinese into and we have this network that's grown up i think it's like 27
0: different languages yeah
2: it's it, like it, it, some yeah yeah extraordinary and, 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 and number yeah. yeah so it because it carries that a universal resonance for people across boundaries across cultures um that is so and uh, it's, just, it's just inspiring, it's and people inspiring. are coming together. That's what
0: I was going to say, yes. People are coming together truly in community
2: and, and, and engaging in this inquiry about how do we, you know, what's happening on the planet, how did we get here, what's possible for the future, and where do we go from here. That's basically the arc of the symposium with a lot of powerful material and exercises and, 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 and you know, ways of engaging. It's a it's a four yes. hour program and I know it's been delivered in New York. There's a community in New York that oh, yeah. that, that offers oh, yeah. it. So um I'm part so that yeah. yeah. And then we, we created for people who want to go deeper, we created what's called the Game Changer Intensive. That's an eight week course and it's done online. But you do it with a cohort and uh it's using the most, you know, cutting edge uh online you know, learning technology, and uh, it's a real deep dive into the the issues of our time and how to really activate the game changer inside of us, because that's really what we all long for, to make a difference with with this life that we've been blessed, and particularly those of us in, in the U.S. I mean, we just have this privilege and it and and a responsibility to to do something mm-hmm. with that with that privilege and i i think we all feel that deep inside and so this is a way of uh, really activating that getting the, the 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 skills and the tools and the the kind of the 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 education behind how to most effectively engage in kind of the game-changing issues of our time and um you know we have uh, this is there's one starting in January, and uh, we have about three to four hundred people at a time going through this this program mm-hmm. so it's it 's really starting to uh, to get out there uh, as well
0: yeah, I it's was, really, uh, yeah at the last luncheon in New York, fundraising luncheon last december david uh the gentleman who I think uh, originated the game changer intensive was present. And uh, I signed up for it. And, uh, Great. I just signed up for it again, actually. <laughs> so I actually wasn't able to fulfill the first one, but this one I will. <laughs> but you can yes, go back. I, and, I do know the, you.
2: Yeah. Please. I'm sorry. No, please go ahead. I mean, I was just saying that's the beauty of it is that you can go back and and you know finish you can go any back, modules that yeah. yeah.
0: And absolutely, and, uh, that's outstanding. But you know, I, I want to just also make the point that. Uh, and maybe you could comment on this, that the Pachamama Alliance has reached also into so many countries, some 80-plus countries, and so many languages. The video, as you said, has been translated into, I think, a couple of dozen languages, but it has also reached into corporations. Some corporations, by the way, who are part of what we could call the dreamed Western Problem, and who are creating so much of the mess, some of it I would have to say consciously, and some of it unconsciously, some of them are simply blinded by you know dollars and cent- well dollars, not so much cents, a lot of dollars um and uh you know, and may not know the harm that they are doing locally and globally to our environment and therefore to people, to our species, and to others as well. Could you talk a little bit about what that reach has been into the um the corporate world as well as on the local level?
2: Yes. So, you know, we we believe that, you know, rather than <clears throat> ostracizing, you know, the business world and community, that it can actually be a vehicle of uh, great change. Um, you know, Indeed. business has penetrated the 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 entire world and um and it they are the <laughs> Big culprits and you know many of the things that the drivers today that are affecting our our, our global health um, yes but we're we're open to working um with with companies who are waking up and recognizing that they um, they have to they quite frankly have to change their uh, the way they 're doing business it 's just it 's just you know not working it 's having uh an impact on people the planet um, and 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 actually their their own their own profits are starting to be affected by that so that interconnectedness is starting to reach the business world and you know we we 've been partnering with several really Awake and aware companies to to bring our programs actually into the the corporate uh, world, so that people, you know, who may not be fully aware or awake could you about what's happening.
0: Could you be specific about those? Could you be specific which companies are you working with?
2: Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, this is really in the early stages right now. So, mm-hmm. um, but you know, we're exploring possibilities with. Um, uh, well actually Wells Fargo one of their uh top Wells Fargo uh, bank p- bank yeah one of the one of their top people came wow. on a journey with us and is very very engaged and has a commitment to get our programs within their their whole um oh, you know corporation i forget how many thousands of people they have
0: so we They're see that huge. as a
2: very as a very very good thing um also very a large con- global consulting firm um we have a a, a partner who's uh Working to take our programs into their clients in internationally, and that that That's carries beautiful. great great promise. Uh, mm. So those are those are a couple examples, and and we're you know we're, we're really really excited. I think uh, the the scalability is necessary, and it's possible. We now have the platforms to I make this so. to make this scalable, and uh, so you know we're all in this together, and uh, so. The Pachamama Alliance has always been about, you know, standing for uh, not standing against anything, but standing for um, a, a new indeed. dream, a new possibility. Yes. And I think, you know, that's what you resonate with, Mitchell. And hopefully, your you know your yes, listeners will will also.
0: Yes, indeed. Well, David Tucker, it has been a real pleasure to uh, hear you and uh, share your experiences and your uh, commitment to a better world, if you will, and uh, clearly you have that, and uh, the work you're doing with Pachamama Alliance, both in the Bay Area and uh, in uh, assisting people with the journeys, uh, so they get the, the taste of the chi, the life force itself, through their bottom of their feet, is, um, it's unexchangeable, there are not words that describe the value of what Pachamama is up to, and how you're also helping to assist in that, in the fulfillment of another dream that I feel will take us into a, a better future. So, thank you so much for your good work.
2: You're welcome. It's a, it's an honor.
0: Really a pleasure. Uh, just give the website if you would, so people can uh, uh,
2: tune in. Absolutely. Yes, it's a uh, Pachamama dot org, and that's P A C H A. M A M A dot O R G, one word, Pachamama dot org.
0: Beautiful. Thank you again, David. And All right, thank you so much, see Mitchell. You sometime soon. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. Good night now. Bye bye. So interesting listening to the wisdom that comes from spending a lot of time with wise people. And that's so much of what we're looking to do here at A Better World is create a community of wisdom keepers and uh, people who love life and love to laugh and love to celebrate and love to think and think out of the box and think with the heart and that's so much of what indigenous thinking and wisdom brings forward in our world and uh, this is a an organization that really helps to integrate the Western and the indigenous uh, mindsets together into an integrated whole, which is so much of what I personally stand for and what A Better World is so much about. Tapping from what works, relating to what is best for the commons, for the public good, which is our larger community. That's our game, folks. It should be pretty obvious by now to those of you who listen and I know many listen with great regularity either live or in uh, by podcast and uh, archive. It's all good. It's all good. Just be part of the solution, my friends, because uh, we've got a lot to do. What's going on in Paris right now is a tip of the iceberg. It's exciting. I uh, wanted to also mention in light of the changes that are taking place uh, the divestment movement of from fossil fuels is growing in leaps and bounds actual governments are getting on board. Australia just announced today at the Paris COP21 uh, gathering uh, by uh, a woman part of 350.org was speaking about this this morning. Large pension funds, the largest pension funds in California that are worth billions of dollars are now committing to divesting from the fossil fuel industry. This is very powerful. Now, it happens that fossil fuels are only one of several of the great polluting global warming sources. Methane is actually larger and really methane is from a number of sources, including just naturally occurring volcanoes, Uh, but they also come from the melting of Arctic ice, as we uh, saw in Siberia just a year or two ago. We saw massive plumes of methane. The other source of methane is cattle. And uh, it's uh, very difficult and challenging for people. But in fact, the consumption of meat, uh, I'll put it this way the overconsumption of meat, the industrialization of uh, the cattle industry, it shouldn't be an industry. But when things were more like back home uh, and we had local economies that were using the food from local farms, we had a different world. But when uh, big ag kicked in and big cattle and uh, the industrialization of that sector, uh, we've had hell to pay for it since. And it's showing up in all domains. Largely climate change and perhaps even a better phrase is extreme weather. The patterns that we are seeing today of extreme drought, extreme floods, this is the way i feel to really take a look at what it is uh we're dealing with these days so anyway i want to just thank you all for listening uh you could easily hear the um foundational principles that exist in the Tibetan Buddhist and Tibetan cultural worldview and that of the indigenous South American, Andean, and Amazonian worldview. Huh? I'll leave you to connect those dots, but it's pretty obvious and um, it's this kind of wisdom from both sides of our world, all sides really. And I say that in our own guts, boy, do we have a lot of wisdom. If only we would pay closer attention to it. Remember that A Better World Foundation is a 501c3. We so appreciate your donations, your investments in A Better World, uh, large or small we accept and we very wisely and prudently use everything as energy, as life force, to help us stay on the airwaves and to uh, further propagate our work here at A Better World. So we thank you. We have a donation button at our website, abetterworld.tv If you don't yet get the newsletter, please sign up and become part of our a Better World family and community. So thank you again. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World and I look forward to seeing you all.